Blog Talk Radio. Hey, good morning, everybody. Good morning. And this is Kim with Black Free Thinkers. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. And again, we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. Hey, hey, what's going on, everybody? Hey, I'm having a good time. Today is a good day. You know, this week was absolutely amazing. Amazing. So many things took place. I've got some wonderful news. I'm just a happy, happy camper. So, you guys, thank you. I appreciate, you know, those of you that have been very supportive of me. I even thank the ones that haven't been supportive of me because, you know, I can respect, you know, be honest, be who you are. So, I mean, whatever, life goes on. And wow, so it's it's a lot happening. It's a lot happening. Um, last week we were talking about the Judas goat, <laughs> and this week we'll be talking about 21st century bread and circuses. And so, you know, that's what we're seeing with this current presidential race, election race. But um, it's been interesting, to say the least. Um, but a lot has been going on this week. You know, definitely we want to send our warmest thoughts and condolences to Fife's family and friends and fans. You know, he passed away this week, and I believe he was 45, 46, young man, still a very young man, and he passed away from complications of diabetes. And that's one of the reasons why sometimes I'll get on these health kicks. And what I mean by that is because those of you that have been listening for a while or may know me, you know, I've dealt with some, you know, some health issues, major health issues over the past several years. And one of the conditions, I was pre-diabetic. So the doctor put me on medicine and, you know, I lost some weight, changed some eating habits, and then I was declared no longer, you know, pre-diabetic. Everything went back to normal. A1C and glucose levels were normal. But, um, you know, guys, if you're out there and, you know, you're experiencing any of these issues, go to the doctor. Go to the doctor, you know, take your medicine or take your insulin if you have to give yourself a shot. They have, a, you know, many, many newer options for you, so you know it's no longer one of those needles, in and in <laughs> and it looks like it's about twelve inches that you're trying to poke in your arm. Now they have these little things you just kind of poke and boom. Um, you know, I have a niece that um, is diabetic; she has to take the shots, and so I've seen her sister, my other niece, give her the shots. You know, usually, you know, in the gluteus area. So. Is, is, is interesting, but, you know, for those of you that may be experiencing, um, you know, having diabetes or as, as we like to call it, the shoulda, um, go, get checked out, keep an eye on that. You know, not only did we lose five to that, but we've lost a number of celebrities. You know, another good name of that died from complications of diabetes was Luther Vandross. 
you know, he also died from that. So, guys, if if you're experiencing that, please be compliant with your, you know, healthcare professionals. Take your medicine, you know, kind of try to clean up those eating habits and, you know, try to get a little bit of exercise in. You know, that helps quite a bit as well. So, you know, I'm hoping everybody out there is doing fine, wishing you the absolute best, but take care of yourself, you know, because diabetes, as we call it, the sugar, you know, that'll get you, but the other one is high blood pressure, hypertension. You need to keep an eye on that as well, you know, and unfortunately those are two of the main diseases that, you know, many people of color, you know, experience. And so, you know, I just want you guys to just go ahead and take care of yourselves. You know, you know, we don't want to see you guys passing away from something like that. And, I mean, I miss some certain foods, and I'll admit I do eat them every once in a while, but it's not, you know, habitual like it was in the past. So, again, you know, we're going to miss Fife. And, but the Tribe Called Quest, the Tribe Called Quest will always be around that music. And, wow, it's just it's absolutely, you know, wow, life is short, you guys. So you need to pay attention to things like that. So it was a lot going on in the news this week. And, um, you know, again, you know, our hearts and condolences go out to the people in, you know, um, Brussels that experienced that, you know, the bombings. You know, but what I find interesting is that you don't, I don't see very many people talking about, and especially the, you know, the cable news networks and even, you know, the national news networks. I'm not really seeing any coverage of the, um, you know, terrorist acts that took place in Africa, you know, over the past week. You know, they were bombed in Nigeria as well as the Ivory Coast and a few other places, and I'm not seeing it on the news. And this is something that we've, you know, talked about in the past, whereas when it happens to places or happen to people who are predominantly black or brown, um, you know, it's not given the coverage that is deserved. I mean, go back to when we were talking about the Ni- the Nigerian, you know, girls that were, you know, kidnapped and what was happening over in Kenya and, you know, just a number of things. So, you know, our, you know, condolences goes out to everyone because what a lot of people don't realize is that, you know, these acts of terrorism happen frequently. It's just not reported on the news. I have a link somewhere. I'll try to remember to put it up because it talks about, you know, what's happening um, all over the world with some of these so-called terrorist acts. And, you know, there's even some debate for that. So, um, again, you know, you have to pay attention to what's happening. And, you know, putting all that in place, I found it interesting that a lot of people were upset with President Obama because he was in Cuba when this happened. And, you know, what I find interesting is with a lot of these um, white politicians as well as, you know, the general white community, you have people playing what we call plantation politics. And 
They want Obama to hop and jump to every word that comes out of their mouths. You know, they don't want him taking a vacation. You know, what's interesting is they were comparing what happened in Brussels. They were saying that it was Obama's Pearl Harbor. You know, that was his Pearl Harbor moment. And it's just, you know, the expectations that they have of this man that, you know, that they didn't have of other presidents. George W. was on vacation all of the time. And so it's interesting. So when President Obama left Cuba, he went to Argentina. And, you know, over in Argentina, you know, they love to dance. And there's one particular dance, the Argentine tango. And so, you know, I saw some news clips of him and Michelle um, dancing with some of the, you know, professional, um, you know, dancers there. And, you know, it was interesting, if you will. But, again, the media and, <laughs> and the public just kind of focused on that. And so, you know, I get tired of talking about these things. I get tired of reading about it. I get tired of hearing all of these complaints, you know, and like I said, you know, when you look at what they're doing to President Obama, now he has his faults. Now, don't don't let me get started because what's happening with the drones and, you know, the different things and, you know, again, how we're sending our military to, you know, go and take care of a lot of these invented issues, um, <laughs> and we have a lot of young American lives being lost over there fighting. Fighting for what? Well, it depends, you know, on, on, on whatever they decide it is at that moment. But, you know, just looking at all of this, it's just it's just a bunch of bullshit. I mean, that's that's the only way I can look at this, and that's what, the only thing I'm going to call it. So anyway... Um, going back to the Argentine tango, I love professional ballroom dancing. And, you know, it's definitely an art form. But with that particular dance, you know, it's very graceful. It's very sensual. And, you know, if you get a chance to go out, go and look some of that up. Um, one of the best routines that I saw, and sometimes they'll play these, you know, they'll show like the, the – you know, um, little contests or what have you that they will have. And it's usually played on, like, the PBS, WTTW here in Chicago, but PBS. And I remember one time um, this one couple, they were, you know, doing the Argentine tango. And I was really surprised because they chose Make Me a Believer by Luther Vandross. And, you know, they did an excellent job. As a matter of fact, I believe they won. That was like 15, 20 years ago when I saw that. I just thought it was interesting. And a way to kind of tie all these things together. Anyway, so (laughs) moving on from that, guys, um, it was a lot happening this week. And, you know, what I'm seeing, you know, on the news and in the political arena, you know, it's enough to make your head want to explode. And, you know, I talked a little bit about it last week, and I don't even know where where to start on this. So before I start in on this bread and circuses, you know, I posted a couple of articles this week. One in particular was from the Washington Post, and it was talking about 
black poverty differs from white poverty. Now, you know, it's an older article, but, you know, it, it, it stated things that we've said before, and I felt that it warranted a repost. Because what it did was it was talking about how poverty is concentrated and how that is done by design. And it ties into one of the things that I talked about last week and what I've talked about on previous shows in regards to urban planning and in regards to the New Deal with the FHA and the types of loans that were happening, how the realtors would steer black and brown people to certain areas and, you know, really didn't want to show them houses, you know, or apartments in other areas that were predominantly, you know, primarily white. And these are things that we've talked about in the past. And what's interesting is that, you know, you would have some white allies, you know, that would deny it and say, oh, you guys are, you know, you're being oversensitive or hypersensitive. And that's not the case. You know, these are things that we see with our own eyes that we can discern, you know, and and, and it's just amazing. So, you know, I'm going to find that article. I'm going to post it again. It talks about our white allies, and it says, if your white allies don't believe you, they're not really your friends. We're experiencing these issues firsthand, and they have no clue. And it's just interesting because you have a lot of, you know, white people out here who feel as though they should be the ones to decide what's racist, that their words are the deciding factor. And so, you know, this is something that we've been fighting against. And this is one of the things that I love about social media and and the Internet is, you know, especially on Twitter. Black Twitter is no joke. I love them. And, you know, we're able to talk about these issues and bring it up. And, and, you know, sometimes it's done with humor. Sometimes it's done with sarcasm. Sometimes, you know, it's just, you know, the unadulterated truth, right? And, it, well, it's always the unadulterated truth. It's just, it comes with no chasers. And so, you know, it's it's been interesting because, you know, as I've stated in the past and on last week's show, you know, when we hear a lot of that racist rhetoric, in many cases, we get it from working class and poor whites. You know, they love to beat black and brown people over the head with, you know, you're just lazy. Get out and get a job, any job, you know, and, and, and you know, just welfare kings and queens and, you know, there's nothing wrong with you. You're not disabled, you know. Yeah, you're missing a leg, but just, you know, <laughs> you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and, you know, go out to the back and, you know, carve you a leg out. It's just, it's, it's, it's horrible. And so what I found very ironic was some of the political elite, Republican political elite, they are using the same type of vitriol with working class and poor whites. Now, you know, I've seen them, you know, chastise them over the years, but I've never seen them excoriate them to the point that I saw in that particular article. 
And so it was talking about working class white people having moral responsibilities and, you know, just a number of other issues. It was talking about, you know, um, people that are, you know, addicted to meth and heroin and OxyContin and just, you know, a number of different things, you know, and, you know, what I find interesting is, and I'm pretty sure some of you all read the article this, you know, that came out last week, and it was talking about how President Nixon's, you know, policy advisors made up the drug war, and they did that to basically incarcerate and control black people and hippies, and hippies in particular because they were against the war. And black people, because we were demanding equal rights and a number of other issues. Again, you know, you've read the book by, or some of you may have read the book or at least heard of the book by Michelle, Michelle Alexander, you know, the new Jim Crow. And this is why you hear us talking about the school to prison pipeline and, you know, um, you know, about how criminal justice reform is needed in this country, especially juvenile. Um, criminal justice, you know, that in particular, you know, we need to take a really hard look at this because you have a lot, a lot of young people that are just being shuffled right into the system, taking them right to jail. And, you know, it was an article that came out and it was talking about how poor white children fare better than rich black kids about how, you know, you know, they're they're given opportunities and alternatives to jail and the biases that are there and that are prevalent in this country. And so again, you know, I can go on and on about these things and I have a few more things to talk about in that regard, but you know, it's important that you guys get out there and that you do some research and like I said, ask some questions. You know, some of these politicians and some of these, you know, leaders, you know, whether it's religious leaders or secular leaders or whomever, you know, you need to start asking questions. That's why I'm using the hashtag IJAQ. I'm just asking questions. Some people said, you know, they see it as meaning it's just a question. However it goes, start asking questions. And speaking of, you know, them (laughs) just, you know, pushing a lot of black and brown people into, you know, the system and, you know, putting them in jail with these made-up arbitrary laws and wars, if you will, you know, something very important happened this week, and I know I posted this. Well, a federal court decided, made some rules about prison gerrymandering, and they deemed it as unconstitutional. And let me explain what this is, because we've talked about it. And basically, when you have these prisons, you know, they try to build them in, you know, country, rural, white areas, and, you know, it provides jobs. But also when they build those prisons in those areas, people are going to move towards those jobs. So those areas, you know, that were once lily white, you know, as a matter of fact, I can give you a real-time example. Here in Illinois, there's this town, it's called Pekin, Illinois. And if you go back and you do some research on Pekin, Illinois, 
there were no blacks out there, no blacks, no Latinos, no Asians, just pure D white, and they wanted it to stay that way. It was extremely racist. You know, when, when Oprah went to Forsyth County, Georgia, to talk about that particular county and the rampant racism, you know, Pekin was also mentioned. And just go and do some research. It's, they have a long history. Pekin is right next to Peoria, Illinois. So anyway, we didn't come for a geography lesson, but I just kind of want to give you an idea. But what happens is when they build these prisons, you know, it brings in an influx of people who want those jobs. And so you have these areas now being desegregated. And, you know, in the prisons, you know, unfortunately, the majority of the prisoners are people of color. You know, and it all ties in, I'm getting there, trust me. And so what happens is they'll go in and they'll take a census of the inmates, and the number of inmates is factored into the census of that particular small town. And so those numbers are, you know, helps to determine the number of representatives, you know, that that region has. And so it's very important. And so what's been interesting is that they've been counting the prisoners in that in that particular census, in that count. And this federal court just said that it, it was unconstitutional, which is correct, you know, and this should have been dealt with a long time ago because what's interesting is, you know, you have these universities that have a lot of, you know, a lot of people, a lot of young people. And the way that some of the laws have been changing, especially after they struck down Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act, you know, it's it's disenfranchised a lot of those students. In some cases, you know, they will not allow the students to vote in that area where they're attending college or university. And, and you know, it's it's just been amazing, you know, what's been happening. But this is why we tell people to pay attention to what's happening because, you know, what happened when they shut down, you know, Section 5, it wasn't only people of color who were affected. You know, the elderly were affected by that, students were affected by that, you know, and a number of other people, you know, so... I don't really want to get off into that too much, but, you know, I would advise you to go out and do some reading and familiarize yourself with this because it's important to know. Like I said, this information in history, you know, it's a weapon. You know, and I know one of the things that used to frustrate me when, you know, I was a little younger is that I would argue these points, and I knew they would be right, but, I, you know, I, it was hard to cite the sources. And, you know, that's one of the advantages, one of, you know, that I have with this show and bringing the different topics is the fact that I have to go out, I have to study it, you know, do some research on it. And, you know, I, I love books. And so, you know, I'll get that and, you know, look at the notes and go to the bibliography and find other information. And so, you know, I definitely encourage you guys to go out there and start doing these things. It it just it gives you power. It gives you knowledge. It gives you, you know, a certain set of, you know, it gives you some courage because it makes you more willing to speak out, to tell your truth. And so, you know, that is the beautiful thing about, 
this in particular. So, like I said, guys, you know, go do the research, ask questions. Just start asking questions. You know, you'll be surprised at the information that, you know, that will come back to you or that you're able to find. And so, like I said, I wanted to touch base on, you know, what was happening there. You know, so much going on. I mean, for those of you, you know, that have been paying attention, have you seen what they've done in North Carolina? You know, so basically, you know, they passed a law um, stating about the bathrooms. And there have been some issues about trans people using bathrooms with, you know, the gender that they identify with. And North Carolina, you know, just passed that ridiculous law. And, you know, you have people like the mayor of San Francisco saying that city workers are barred from going to North Carolina. And, you know, there have been a a lot of pushback. There's been a lot of pushback about that. So, you know, go and familiarize yourself with that as well. But that's important to know. And, um, And then there's this fake story going around about Michelle Bachman's husband. Um, going to, um, well, basically in Indiana. And, you know, I'm not going to go into the story, but, you know, Snopes has, <laughs> they did a piece on it, and that's not true. So I just wanted to kind of give you guys a head up about that so that, you know, you won't post that because it's actually, a, you know, a false story. So um, it's, it's, it's interesting. You know, what's been going on, so, hey, I say keep your eyes and your ears open. And like I said, they're not reporting about the atrocities happening over in Africa with so-called terrorist attacks. So, again, I want to make sure that we acknowledge the Ivory Coast and Nigeria and Kenya and, you know, everywhere else. They're, you know, they're getting bombed and killed and all of those things, too. And, you know, we've already determined that, you know, the reason why you see a lot of footage about what happens over in Europe in particular, you know, what happened in Paris and what just happened in Brussels is because they're European, they're white, you know, and it doesn't make their pain any more or any less. I just want you guys to be informed because, you know, sometimes these things fall through the crack. So anyway, (laughs) you know, um, just looking at all of this, um, did you guys see what happened? You know, Bernie Sanders, he's out there doing a damn thing. I have to give him credit. And, you know, and I'm glad that he spoke out on what happened in Arizona. So for those of you who may not be familiar, you know, with what's been happening on a political landscape as of late, there were people standing in line five-plus hours to vote in Arizona, and there were a lot of mistakes made. You had people who were registered Democrats, and they would get there. They would say that they were a registered Republican, and you know, just the number of other skullduggers activities that took place and how people's um, votes were repressed, 
you know, um, in, in, in Arizona. And it's just, it's horrible. And what's more interesting is <laughs> the person that was responsible to make, you know, make this voting, you know, make the voting go a lot easier, a lot smoother. She admitted, she said, I screwed up. You know, it happens. She's refusing to resign and then turned around and threw the voters under the bus and stated that it was their fault. It wasn't because of her and the incompetence of her employees, but it was the voters' fault. They did it to themselves. And, you know, again, you know, we've heard these excuses, you know, on a number of occasions. And it's things like that that discourage people from voting, you know. But it was great that, you know, other people were not dissuaded and they remained in line and, you know, they got their vote out. But what was interesting is that the vote was called before any of these people were given the ability to vote. There were still, you know, a number of people waiting in line to vote when it was decided. And, you know, I'm sitting here and I'm looking at what's happening because basically what we're seeing is the coronation of Hillary Clinton. And, (laughs) you know, a lot of people... You know, especially some people of color. Listen, the Clintons are, Clintons are the Clintons. And we've talked about some of the, you know, problematic issues there and what happened under Bill Clinton's administration, under his watch and how we're paying for a lot of those things now. You know, um, the deregulation of the mortgage industry, you know, deregulation of, you know, stock market, and this is what has allowed these hedge fund managers to go out and sell worthless pieces of paper, you know, the crime bills, you know, three strikes, you're out, you know, NAFTA, and a number of these things. Now, you know, it wasn't just all Bill Clinton, you know, because George W. and, you know, all of these other people played into it as well. But it's just, it's important that you go and you do some research. And Hillary Clinton has stated that some of the mistakes that were made by her husband that she's not going to go back and correct it. And so because many of us are familiar with the Clintons and, you know, a lot of people of color really like Bill because he's charismatic and, you know, he was dubbed as the first black president, you know, because he'll pick up his saxophone and, you know, and it's just, it's amazing. But you really do need to go and read up. You know, for those that aren't familiar, Hillary Clinton gave a speech in which she was, you know, stating emphatically her support of Israel. And what was interesting is the candidates for president of the United States, you know, you had people 
asking them questions. And, you know, they gave some talks as well. What was interesting was when Donald Trump, you know, went on to give his speech, you know, a lot of people walked out. So go go look it up and find out, you know, why that happened. One of the reasons why they don't like Donald Trump is because he was saying that he was trying to be neutral, but he knew that, you know, Israel was our ally, our friend, and, you know, and he was just going on. And, guys, I mean, go back and even look at their response to the bombing in Brussels and listen to Donald Trump's answer. It was nothing in it. It was vacuous. It was it was just it was horrible. It was no answer. But the other ones didn't give an answer either. They're just talking in circles. They're saying a whole bunch of nothing. And so that's why you know I'm talking about a 21st century bread and circus, right? Because you know I'm looking at what's happening now and it's a you know a three ring circus that we're seeing in the center ring we see Donald Trump. And, you know, I had some comments about that that would be deemed as quite highly offensive, and I want to say it. Just let your imagination run wild. I'm going to leave it alone, but center stage, you have Donald Trump, you know, barking, you know, the carnival barker, yelling at the crowd and you know, getting the crowd's attention, getting them to clap and to jump up and dance and what have you. In the second ring, you have Kasich and Cruz, and they're over there, and you see their mouths moving, but nothing is coming out. You know, they're like little mimes over there. And the reason why there's nothing coming out of their their mouths is because Everything that the center act is saying, you know, Donald Trump, they're saying the same thing, except they're just a little bit more nuanced. That's it. But they all basically have the same message. The only difference is Donald Trump is in center. The focus is on him. And in the third ring, you would think that that would be the media and how they're sensationalizing this this big-ass mess we're dealing with. You know, but in all actuality, and, I, you know, I've been thinking about this, you know, the American public, the American voters are really in a third ring. That's us. And the reason why I'm saying that is because we're the ones giving these people attention. Now, mind you, the media is there. They're taking the pictures. We're being blinded by the flash and, you know, the lights. But in all actuality, you know, it's us. And these people are putting on a show, the Republicans and Democrats. And it's so funny because there are a number of us that want to run and get away from this and escape. Except there's nowhere to run. There's nowhere to hide. You know, if if the economy tanks in America, they, you know, everybody tanks. You know, it has a global effect. And, you know, what's interesting is that there are many of us looking and trying to find some type of escape route, which is not there. But, you know, we're too busy, or not too busy, but we're too scared to cross that threshold 
because there is a rumor out that if you try to breach that particular perimeter, that you'll be shocked, you know, you'll be electrocuted. You know, um, I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. Let's say you're walking down the street, and you're coming up to this house, and, you know, the people are sitting, you know, on the front porch, and their dog is out, you know, a mean, vicious dog, whatever, and it's not on the leash. And, of course, when the dog sees you, a stranger, the dog stands up and starts barking. And you're standing there frozen in fear. And the people, they're saying, oh, he won't bother you. Just walk on. And you're looking at them, you know, giving them the side eye. And so you start walking, and the dog starts running your way. And what is your natural response? You know, you're naturally inclined to try to run away, whether it's in the street, you know, taking the risk of being hit. And then the people tell you that they have one of those, you know, electric fences up so the dog can only go so far. But, you know, it was it's a little bit too little too late because now you're out there, you know, hopefully you didn't get hit. Hopefully you didn't trip over your own feet and hurt yourself. And so that's what I mean when I say that the perimeter is electrified because there, you know, the media will feed you some bullshit and have you thinking that, you know, that crossing that threshold trying to do things out of the box, if you will, that, yet that you know, it's a horrible thing that, you know, that you're going to pay and you're going to suffer. And so, you know, that's, that's the interesting thing about all of this. And, you know, so I figured if I'm going to have to be <laughs> strapped into this roller coaster and not able to escape, I'm going to go and commandeer the box seats and, you know, me and my friends will sit up there like we're Waldorf and Statler from the Muppets and sit there and look at all of this stuff, sometimes in amazement, and sometimes we are sitting up there cracking jokes and laughing at it because some of this stuff is so scary that, you know, that it's funny. What else can you do? You know, so... It's just it's it's interesting, you know, because when you're when when you go and you look up the gravity, you know, of this particular situation, you have states like Utah that have never really been in play, you know, in the last what forty fifty years, and now they're in play because of Donald Trump, and so I'm just finding it amazing how politics as we knew, you know, is is being changed. And you're sitting here, and like I said, some days I just feel like somebody stapled my eyelids open. You know, can't shut my eyes, and I can't turn away from it. You know, sitting here watching this train wreck, and, (laughs) you know, I... You know, I'm a little outdone as to, you know, what's happening and, you know, how we are definitely complicit in this. You know, you don't get a pass. And what's interesting is you have some supporters of Bernie Sanders stating that if he does not win, 
that they refused to vote for Hillary Clinton. And I hinted on that, you know, on well, not hinted, I talked about it briefly on the show last week. And so there was this article out, and basically it was chastising some of the Bodie, Bernie supporters. And it was talking about how basically these particular supporters that have decided that they're not going to vote for Hillary or anyone else, basically it's due to their white privilege. Because, like I said last week, you know, it's a win-win situation for them. And I was glad that somebody wrote an article, you know, detailing it, because if Donald Trump wins, you know, these people will not have any of their white privileges revoked under, you know, Donald Trump. And how basically they're kind of throwing you know, people of color and, you know, again, undocumented therapists, good Lord, un- undocumented migrants or immigrants under the bus. Forgive me. Sometimes I get a little tongue-tied here, so just bear with me. But, you know, there are a number of marginalized groups that will be affected by this. You know, you have poor people, just poor people across the board regardless of race and ethnicity. You have disabled people, again, you know, across any of these things. So you got poor people, disabled people, you have elderly people, you have students, you have people of color, you have undocumented immigrants, in some cases, documented immigrants, you know, and they're the ones that are going to suffer the most, you know, under, you know, a Trump presidency. And so, you know, for those that want to sit on their hands or throw rocks and hide their hands, you know, you all are setting us up for a major fall with Trump. You know, one thing I have to give the guy, he says what the hell is on his mind. You know, I respect a racist that is really willing to tell and state that they're racist. At least I know, you know, where they're coming from and what they think and what they believe. You know, it's the ones that, you know, claim that they have a black best friend and they know black people and, you know, they love black people. They love the culture. Yet we haven't been invited over to dinner. They can't tell us the name of that black BFF. And sometimes when they do show us the black BFF, we're looking at that person and giving them the side eye because we've seen them running around giving their, you know, their little confused soliloquies in regards to race. You know what I'm talking about, the new blacks, right? And so, you know, what's interesting, because I talked about this a little bit last week, and I was talking about Sometimes you have individuals and they'll, you know, they'll see something that they want that someone else has. And then they decide that they want it for themselves and they try to take it from that person. And, you know, that person is sitting there and like, you know, saying to themselves, what the hell is going on? And in other cases, you'll have people working together, collaborating to create whatever it is that they created. 
And then one of the people will get mad at, you know, somebody, and then they'll try to take, you know, take that, you know, that product away or that project or what have you. They try to take it away because now they're mad. And, you know, and then they get upset when the other person is like, hell to the no, you know. And so, you know, I'm going to go into a little bit of detail about what I mean with that. Now, by no means am I endorsing Donald Trump. I want him to lose, and I want him to lose in the worst kind of way. And, you know, the people that are supporting him, you all have seen what has been happening at these rallies and and, and happening in the streets, you know, with the protesters that are protesting these rallies. Now, you know, I like, you know, and that's why I said 21st century bread and circuses, because when I watch some of these rallies with Donald Trump and some of the, you know, the, the activities that take place within these rallies, I'm, I feel like I'm watching a damn gladiator, you know, and they're down there, and it's just, and you know, look at the fights. Look at the way he's talking to and treating some of the people that are there, you know, supporting him. Well, not the ones that are supporting, but the protesters. And, you know, you have these fights breaking out. You have people threatening to kill folks, you know, and then, you know, stating that, well, we don't know if they're ISIS or not. So I don't know. Is that the new buzzword? That's the new trigger word they're going to use when they run around trying to kill black, brown, and red people? Well, we don't know if they're ISIS or not. And, I mean, and just many other you know, examples that are out there. And I'm like, what the hell is going on around here? And that's the thing. That's why I say we're in the third ring because it's like we're looking at this and it's hard to look away because, you know, history repeats itself. It's just new players, but, baby, the game is still the same. And this is what I'm trying to get people to understand. It's important that you understand the history. It's not just white people who do not understand the history of this country. It's black, brown, red, yellow people too. And, you know, again, you got to go back and take a look at this. So, you know, where I'm coming from is basically, you know, Donald Trump has run this race. And he is in the lead on the GOP side. And right now you have people in the Republican Party, you know, having apoplectic fits, aneurysms, you know, D, all of the above, because it's really looking like Donald Trump is going to be the nominee. And what they're trying to do is basically set it up so that he does not get the required number of delegates to be the official nominee because they want that brokered convention. And the thing is, is that, like I said, I do not endorse in any shape, fashion, or form Donald Trump. But he's winning these delegates, delegates, and he's winning this election. And I actually have a problem with them trying to take the nomination away from him. And it has nothing to do with him per se. It happens to do with, you know, look, they created this monster. They made Donald Trump who he is. 
and also with the Republican, you know, party, the people that support them, their supporters. They created those little monsters, too. They did that. And so this goes back into what I was saying about, you know, people collaborating and then one person gets mad or one set of people and they try to take it away. These are the same – these supporters are the same people that they were calling Reagan Democrats, right? And they were happy to have been acknowledged as so. And so these same supporters, you know, the working class and poor whites, they were the ones helping to build the Republican platform and the Republican Party to what it is now and get it to the point where it is now. And now that the Republican elites, they're upset because these, these you know, middle class and poor whites are supporting Donald Trump, they're angry with them, and now they're telling them to kiss their ass, throwing them under the bus, talking to them, you know, you know like they're dogs. Now they're mad because the same group of people that they groomed – are now, huh, how about this, thinking independently, acting outside of the box. And that is not what these politicians want, whether they're Democrats or Republicans. But look at how they're turning on middle class, working class, and poor whites. And so my issue with that there is, you know, again, you know, they're making – well, they're not making up. It is part of their platform. They can have a brokered convention. But the fact that they're trying to look around and find someone to run as an independent against Donald Trump, when they had Donald Trump and the other, you know, um, the other – people that were running for the presidencies, the other candidates, they had them sign a non-binding agreement that they would not run independently were they not the nominee. So, you know, I find it ironic that they made these people sign it, in particular Donald Trump, because that's who they were worried about. And it still backfired on them. So now they're trying to find someone to run independently against Donald Trump just in case he gets the delegates. And even if he doesn't get the delegates, now they're afraid of their own constituency. They are in panic mode, y'all. Pay attention. And, you know, what's happening is, you know, they're trying to defeat Donald Trump by any means necessary. And the problem that I have with this is Donald Trump was their friend when he was giving them money. He was their, you know, he was their BFF when he was endorsing Mitt Romney and some of the other ones. And what I will say is that Donald Trump was hedging his bets. He gave money to both parties. So he knew which side, you know, which side of the bread was buttered. And so it's just interesting because now you have, you know, these Republican elites saying, oh, hell to the no, not him. But yet, again, they're making up these, you know, or, or coming up with these arbitrary rules that are only being subjectively applied. And, you know, I, I love to say that. Because, you know, this happens in the real world. And, you know, what I want to say to, you know, some of you all listening to this, and in particular, people that are considered, you know, groups that are considered marginalized or outliers, look at what they're doing to each other. Donald Trump is a billionaire. 
He's part of the good old boy network. Look at how they're they're you know how they're changing up the scenario. And look at just look at how arbitrary this is. This is what they do to us white people, allies, you know. Pay attention. Look at what they're doing to you. They have been doing this to us from the very from the very first day the first slave reached the shores of America. And I just think it's important that you guys go back and you look at this. Pay attention. Pay attention to what's happening. And, you know, and by no means am I endorsing any of these people. I'm just telling you all to look at what's happening in front of your faces. You know, and so, to be honest with you, since, you know, I'm on this roller coaster and they won't let me off, just have a little fun with it because either way it goes, we're screwed. So, <laughs> you know, um, let's have a little fun with it. So let's say it is a brokered, you know, convention. And let's say they decide to, you know, if they decide no to Cruz because they can't stand his ass either. They don't like Cruz, not even a little bit. And so it's important for you guys to know that because Cruz came in as a tea partier. And it's because of him giving John Boehner a hard time. <laughs> That's why he walked away. And, you know, this guy is my way or no way. And then you have Kasich, and, you know, he's problematic for a number of other reasons. Go and look up his history in Ohio. You know, it's important that you understand that. So, you know, if I'm going to have to be a part of this and I'm going to have to listen to this and pay attention to it, well, hell, I may as well get some damn shits and giggles out of this, right? And, you know, let's say they give the nomination to good old Mitty Mitt Romney, right? I feel that Donald Trump should run as independent. You know, and again, this is for my own amusement. And let's say Hillary. Let's say she gets the Democratic, um, you know, nomination. I feel that Bernie Sanders should run as an independent. People will support him. And then let the show begin. It really will seem like, you know, a damn gladiator show at that point. And, again, I'm just saying this. Why? Because I'm a little bored, and that type of shit right there would amuse and entertain my ass for a while. And um, it's just interesting. We have a caller. Hey, may I ask your name? Uh, hi, my name is Denisha Saunders, and I've been listening to this um, Internet radio station for a while now. Um, yes, I just wanted to say that um, – it seems like, especially where I live, like in Virginia, Southern Virginia, that, like, mm-hmm. the atmosphere has completely changed. Like, me and my mom, we go to Walmart and stuff, and we just go around town. And um, it's like, I don't want to say all white people, but, like, some right. of the white people we encounter, they're um, more hostile, I uh-huh. guess. Like, <laughs> I never had really encountered that before. I mean, ever since I've been growing up here, I'm like, 23 years old, and um, there was a big incident about the Confederate flag at the um, our museum 
they took it down, mm-hmm. but now there are like these huge Confederate flags popping up everywhere. And I think, <laughs> I mean, I just think that Donald Trump is like bringing out these people that at first didn't really exist, or if they did right. exist, they didn't let you know. Right. But, yeah. Exactly. You're right. And see, what's happening is, you know, what we're seeing now, and like I said, history repeats itself. If you go back and you go and look up the race riots of the past, like mm-hmm. what happened in Wilmington, North Carolina, Rosewood, you know, Tulsa, Los Angeles, yeah. Chicago, there were race riots happening all over the country. And this is the type of environment and the type of rhetoric that, you know, caused that to happen. And I'll post um, a link on my wall today because I want you all to see the rhetoric that Donald Trump is using that has been used before in the past and what happened as a consequence of that. And you're absolutely right because what happens is Donald Trump is appealing to the very base nature of human beings. But this is the thing. It's not that we were living in a colorblind or post-racial America. There is no such thing. What is happening is yeah. is that as time you know, went along, certain behaviors were deemed as unacceptable or inappropriate. So it added this very thin layer called political correctness. So it became politically incorrect to call us niggers and so on and so forth. But what is happening is Donald Trump has ripped that scab off, and it's not that that was never there. It's just coming mm-hmm. up to the surface again, and that is what is happening. You know, it's like a damn volcano. Now, you know it's kind of hot down there, and, you know, you feel the rumbling yeah. sometimes, and you see the smoke coming out. And, you know, you're wondering when that thing is going to erupt. And then just out of the blue, you know, it just pops off on you. And you got all the villagers running for the ocean. And it doesn't even damn matter because, you know, the lava is going to follow you out. That is what we are dealing with now. You have people running away like, what? You know, <laughs> you know and, but, I mean, and they, they created this. Uh-huh. I wanted I wanted to vote for Bernie Sanders, but I voted for Hillary as far as the um the Democratic primaries because like my mom said, she doesn't think that Bernie Sanders if they if Trump becomes the Republican nominee, which we all think he will, then mm-hmm. we don't think that Bernie Sanders is going to be able to stand up against Trump. Okay, you know, and I mean, there are a lot of reasons why people, you know, are of that opinion. And and I understand, like I said, I read a lot, you know, and I've been, you know, watching mm-hmm. what's happening. But what has been, you know, even more interesting was at the at the very beginning when Bernie Sanders put his hat in the ring and declared that he was going to run, you know, he was basically laughed out of the room, and he was polling at mm-hmm. 3%. Not 13, not 30, but three, under twice, three. And look at what has happened. Now he's running neck and neck with Hillary. And, you know, we heard about what happened to him over the weekend. Big wins, big wins for him. You know, and it's not even about the number of delegates he won. It's just the fact that he won. You know, (laughs) so um, it's it's just been really interesting. But I, I, I can understand why people, you know, would be a little hesitant 
to vote for Bernie Sanders. But when you go back and you look at the political history of not only Hillary, but of course, Bill, because that's her husband, he has some influence on her as she had on him. You know, Hillary Clinton is not our friend. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, some of the things that she wants to do. And I mean, I understand because at the end of the day, People just want to defeat Trump by any means yeah. necessary. We don't want him in office. And so I get that. I get it. I get it. But the way that the Republican Party is, you know, trying to set this stage, in all honesty, I don't feel that is fair how they're trying to, you know, basically railroad Donald Trump out of what he has primarily earned. And the way he earned it, now I, I call bullshit on it all the way around because, you know, these people, these the working class and poor whites, they are angry. Yeah. And what's interesting is, like I said, all of the domestic, well, not all of them, but most of the domestic violence um, incidents that we see in this country are committed by angry white men. And the question mm-hmm. is, why are they so angry? And what has happened is, you know, with NAFTA and a number other number of other things that have happened in this country, but in particular with NAFTA, when a lot of these manufacturing um, corporations moved to South America and China and India, and even with us, you know, competing globally, a lot of jobs were lost, a lot of opportunities that were there for middle class and poor whites, they're no longer there. And so now some of their privileges have been taken away in certain entitlements. And what's happening is they don't like being oppressed. That oppressed thing is hard. And they're angry and they're not going to take it anymore. And they're out here in the street. And like I said, if they take that nomination away for Donald Trump, even if he's too delicate, delicate shy of getting the nomination, those folks are going to clown inside that convention area. And I really, truly believe that they're going to take it to the streets. And so, well, you know, I, that I is what taking my call, mm-hmm. but um, I would want to say that that does undermine our democracy for them to do that right. when the people have obviously voted him in. And I also thank you because I finished reading the book, The History of White People, but um, that's all I had to say. <laughs> okay. Oh, no problem. No problem. And thank you for listening. And I appreciate it. And, you know, thank you for calling in. I appreciate it. You have a good one. I'm going to place you back on you mute. Too. Okay. 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 Bye-bye. All right. Let's see here. There you go. So, yeah, you know, we thank Denisha for calling in, you know, and, um, you know, telling us, you know, why her and her mom voted for Hillary. And it's important that, you know, people are allowed to voice their opinion. And, yay, good job, you know, um, you know, she read the book. So, you know, one of the books that I've recommended, the one by Nell Painter. And so, um, guys, it's important, but you know what's happening now is basically you have these wealthy white people stating that there's no more money left. <laughs> you know they're cutting off the money to you know working class and poor whites, and they are not liking that at all. And so this is why you hear me talking about social contracts or racial contracts because you know, is is an unspoken, unwritten understanding. 
And, you know, a lot of that plays into anti-blackness and, 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 you know, the myth of black inferiority, the myth of black criminality. And then also there's another myth that's been playing out because I know last week I was talking about an article that I read and it was talking about how there really aren't enough white people to vote Donald Trump into the presidency in a general election. And so, you know, what's interesting about that is, you know, this is why he's appealing to black and brown voters now. You know, he's going through some of these pastors, and in particular, you know, some of the mega pastors or the pastors that have very large congregations. And, you know, and the ones that are endorsing him you know, they're probably promising or or telling him that they will strongly encourage, you know, their members to vote for him and what they're going to do. And this is something that we've seen time and time again, which is why, you know, I started tweeting at these mega pastors and large pastors, and I really didn't get to it this week like I wanted to, but, you know, we're going to start back at that using the hashtag IJAQ. Again, that's IJAQ. I'm just asking questions, right? And so basically, I feel as though, you know, yeah, I'm just going to have to come out and say it. You know, these pastors, you know, are opportunists. They see the opportunity for them to get political favor and to be appointed to these different boards and given a certain amount of power, but not only power over their congregation, which they already have, but, you know, power of different constituents. Let's say, you know, they're they're appointed somewhere in their state, you know. So, you know, it's, it's just it's amazing. You have to go and you have to look at, you know, what their ulterior motives are. And this is what makes it dangerous, you know, for a number of reasons. But I did a show talking about the prosperity gospel of Donald Trump. And, you know, I was paralleling or contrasting his message with those of mega pastors. And it's the same thing. Donald Trump is telling these people that you, too, can be wealthy like me. You, too, can be a millionaire or a billionaire, and I'm going to make that possible for you. You know, and in America, everybody has the opportunity to succeed and, you know, all of these things. And, you know, again, you know, if you're paying attention, the wealth inequality gap has gotten even wider. And there is a lot of criticism of President Obama because under his watch, that gap has widened as well. You know, and what's interesting is now we are moving to the trillionaire class. We have people that are, you know, fast approaching, you know, trillionaire status. And, you know, it's absolutely disgusting. And I'm just saying, you know, guys, don't fall for the okie doke, the okie doke. And for those who are wondering why I have catriarchy, on my profiles. You're like, that's not a real word. I explained what it meant, but I'll do it again. You know, patriarchy, we know what patriarchy is, you know, but okay, well, patriarchy is a combination of the okie doke plus patriarchy. So basically, it's somebody who says that patriarchy is wrong, 
unless they need a little bit of patriarchy to help them with whatever it is that they're trying to do, then it's okay. So you combine them both, and I call it patriarchy. It's really okay-triarchy, but the O is silent. So there you go. So, you know, so when you hear me say these things, just so that you'll understand where I'm coming from, but, you know, just looking at this. And, oh, yeah, the one myth that I definitely wanted to talk about, you know, you have a lot of Republicans, and especially Donald Trump, talking about how, you know, he's bringing in white voters you know, people that had never voted before or people who used to vote and stopped voting. That is a myth as well. You know, and it's called the mythology of untapped white voters. That is not true. You know, and so and that's one of the reasons why, you know, they're saying that there are not enough white people to vote Donald Trump into the presidency. But we cannot take that for granted. You know, and especially since we know that there are black and brown people out here caping for Donald Trump. So we can't just take that for granted. And going back to what I said about some of the Hillary supporters, I'm sorry, some of the Bernie supporters that are saying that they will not vote for Hillary. You know, I really need for you all to sit down and to think about, you know, what I said earlier about how your right privilege affords you the ability to say and do that. Now, if you're really an ally and you're really, you know, anti-racist, anti-sexist, anti a number of things, I would, you know, you know, implore or ask you to, you know, think about it. Think long and hard about the political landscape that can be drawn, you know, from having that particular individual or even Ted Cruz as the president of the United States. So, you know, people have to stop with that tunnel vision, with that myopic type of vision. You've got to look at the bigger picture, and you have to think outside the box. But, again, you have to look beyond, you know, what's happening right now. You have to look at what the potential of the next four to eight years and beyond and how these people will be able to get certain types of legislation pushed. You know, but again, you know, I tell people it's important that you know who the governors, the local politics or local and state politics, those are the people that have a direct impact on you. And unfortunately, a lot of the governorships throughout this country have been taken over by the Republican Party. Why? Because that's actually where the real power is. So anyway, you know, I just find it interesting that the, you know, that the political elite, not just not necessarily just Republican, but Democratic as well, how they're, you know, throwing a lot of white working class and poor people under the bus. And, you know, just sitting here and, you know, reading some of their stories and watching some of these interviews of, you know, poor whites um, on the, you know, social media and on a television. And you listen to their stories and you'll hear things, hear them saying things like, well, this is not what they told us in school. You know, and they, many of them met high school, they met high school. 
this is not what they told me in school, and they lied to us, and, you know, there are no jobs, you know, you know, can't afford an education, and, you know, and they were going on and on. And what I found interesting about that is these narratives are more visceral then they are abstract. And it's important that you note that you note the difference between the two. You know, because, you know, they're talking about their personal, you know, grievances and 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 you know what has been happening to them on a personal note. And this is something that, you know, a lot of black, brown, red, yellow people can can relate to. Because the same things, you know, we were saying some of the same things. You know, I learned a very, very big lesson personally in 2000, 2001. And so, you know, um, I am in STEM, you know, technology in particular. And what happened was, you know, a lot of the dot-coms were going belly up. You know, those particular bubbles were being popped. And so the rug was pulled from under the dot-com community. And so many of us were laid off and scrambling around to find, you know, new jobs. And, again, this happened before 9-11. I'm talking about specifically before 9-11. And, you know, I learned a lesson from that. And so let's fast forward to 2007, 2008, and yet again, the rug was pulled out from under American workers, you know, and, and that's when we had the Great Recession. And if it's a recession for white people, trust me, it's a depression for black, yellow, and brown, and, 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 and red people. And it's just interesting. But I learned my lesson, so, you know, I won't say that I, you know, that life was, you know, free and easy. But, you know, um, I kind of got myself prepared for it because I've always been one to watch the news, engage, and pay attention. So I knew that was coming. And just like what we're dealing with now, you know, we're getting ready to take another dip, people. And so for those that are able to save money, I'm telling you, you need to sock some money away. And again, Look at the political climate in this country. You know, one of the things that we have not experienced in America that, you know, we've seen happening in other countries, number one, we have not seen the food riots. And, you know, the the, um, the corporations that are on the stock market like Kraft and, you know, Bimbo and, you know, a number of other food, you know, conglomerates that are on the market, their prices, their stock prices have gone up. They're they're killing. You know, the dividends that they've been paying out has kept their shareholders happy. For those of us that shop for food, if you notice, the prices of food have gone up. But if they didn't raise the price of something, then it's gone down. So let's say you used to get, you know, six cupcakes in that box. You're still getting six cupcakes, but there are six smaller cupcakes. So, you know, they're saving on the ingredients. They're saving on the packaging, you know, and, and so it's important for you guys to notice things like that and to pay attention. But, you know, as I've stated in the past, 
The only way you're going to see some Americans go out in the street and protest is when a Big Mac goes to the price of $20 and they can't take their kids to McDonald's for a Happy Meal for $3. And what's interesting about that is with, you know, the fast food, you know, someone did a profile on Donald Trump and his eating habits. And he apparently eats a lot of fast food and a lot of snack foods. Well, you know, if he wins and he's the president of the United States, him eating eating that way and the stress and the pressure, well, who knows what the hell can happen. And if he picks Cruz as his vice president, I'm just telling you guys, this is looking like a big freaking nightmare that's, you know, coming to us. But, again, like I said, I'm not endorsing anybody in the Republican Party right now. I'm not even, you know, endorsing anybody in the Democratic Party. But, you know, I want you guys to be informed and to see, you know, what's happening. And I spoke briefly about an article that was in the New York Times, and it was talking about will the Democrats um, ever face an African-American revolt. And I've talked to you guys about how, you know, the Democratic Party and the Republican Party, how they kind of switched, you know, constituencies to a certain point. And that was because of the New Deal. And, you know, that took place between 1933 and 1938. And go back and read. And it's important. It's important for you all to understand this. But my biggest worry at this point, and it's kind of a lose-lose situation, if Donald Trump does not get the nomination, like I said, I feel that a lot of that vitriol and anger is going to be taken to the streets. And it won't just be, you know, people of color suffering. You know, you know, first thing they're going to do is start blaming poor people. And if you read that article that I posted, you know, if you look at it, you know, they're already blaming poor whites and stating, you know, and, and that would include working class um, poor whites because um, working class poor people I mean, working class whites, you know, whether they realize it or not, they're poor too. You know, if you're working from one paycheck to the next, you're poor. You know, and the middle class, there is no longer a middle class. It's been crushed. And so it's important that you guys understand that. But, you know, they're basically saying that they want to push working class and poor white people off of the doles, basically out of the entitlement programs. And, you know, I, you know, I still find it absolutely amazing that, you know, poor and working class whites that are receiving governmental um, benefits, you know, the safety social net that we have in place, for some odd reason, they think their benefits are different than the benefits that go to black and brown people. It's the same. You know, and many of them like to state that, well, I'm not on welfare. I'm getting Social Security or disability. It's the same thing. All of that was brought to fruition with the New Deal. And what's interesting is is that the original intent of those programs, you know, I won't say it deviated away, but what I will say is that, you know, they kept moving the bar or kept moving the perimeter 
to bring other people and other groups into that particular demographic. And so, you know, and I definitely feel that we need a social safety net. So I don't want anyone coming at me or emailing me about that. No, we need a social safety net. As a matter of fact, what we have in this country so far, thus far, is still insufficient. There are a lot of things that we need to go back and redo, and 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 some things just need to be absolutely torn out, thrown away. And this is one of the reasons why, you know, and I'm going to tie all of this in together, because, again, you have, you know, a lot of ministers, pastors, religious leaders that are falling in line with this because, again, go back and read about faith-based initiatives, but also with the Republican Party actually pulling a fast one on them because the Republican Party actually wants to privatize almost damn near everything. But and again, think about who's going to profit from that. You know, what cronies, what, you know, what lobbyists, you know, what, what, you know, corporations, you got to think about it. You, you know, we just can't just, you know, turn the blind eye to this. It's important that you look at the bigger picture and, you know, what's happening is what they want to do is take those particular social safety nets or entitlement programs, as they like to call it, and they're trying to push it to the churches. So give them the money through grants and, you know, other type of funding mechanisms. And, you know, the truth of the matter is the religious community is not equipped to deal with that type of, you know, need-based need, need communities. They're not equipped to deal with the people that are actually out here needing things. Now, a lot of churches have a lot of wonderful programs, and they're doing great work. That's excellent. But they're doing that because they feel that, you know, that is what they've been instructed to do. That is, you know, the mandate that God has given them. You know, that is how some of them feel. But then you have some of these money-hungry people over here that can see these things shaping up. And they know that, you know, that there is a possibility of an influx of a lot of money. And what's unfortunate about that is that there is really no oversight of these particular funds, you know, after these, you know, organizations, you know, win, you know, a grant or what have you. They get the money. Nobody questions what they're doing with the money. You know, even the people in the community, in most cases, they don't even know that these people got money. And this is why I feel that, you know, there should be a public, you know, um, auditing of a number of these organizations, and not only the church, I'm talking about some of these political action committees, some of these lobbying organizations just across the board. If you are a nonprofit, your books should be open, and it should be transparent. And people should be, you know, the public should be afforded the opportunity to go in and audit and question what has happened to the money. Who have you helped? It's important, you know, and especially since the majority of the congregants are, you know, living at or below the poverty line. And so, you know, I'm going to tie that all into, you know, with these mega pastors and Donald Trump. You know, they're selling you a dream. They're selling you hope. 
you know, and we just need for you to open your eyes and to start paying attention to what's going on here. They know exactly what they're doing, and it's a money grab. And it's important that you guys, you look at this and you see it. But, you know, look at how, you know, wealthy white people are turning on the people that are supporting Trump. You know, usually that's us. You know, and we normally do not have a front row seat to this type of spectacle. But, you know, like I said, when I first read it, you know, I couldn't believe my lying eyes. Because I couldn't believe they just came on out and, you know, called them to the carpet. And so, you know, this is not a laughing matter. Because those same working class and poor whites are the ones that, you know, are out here advocating for the Second Amendment, you know, their guns. You know, President Obama got in trouble when he was talking about, you know, that particular demographic. And he was talking about they cling to their guns in their Bibles. That's the truth. And unfortunately, you know, they're going to come after the low-hanging fruit, if you will, the easy targets, which is us. And when I say us, I'm talking about LGBTQ people. I'm talking about undocumented immigrants. I'm talking about poor people, poor minorities, if you will, in particular. But, you know, they're going to go after the poor whites, too. You know, because, you know, again, you know, they're a burden, if you will, according to these, you know, rich and middle class whites, certain middle, I'm talking about middle upper class. And, you know, again, LGBTQ, disabled people, undocumented immigrants, um, disabled people, the elderly, and some students, as well as people of color. So, you know, there are a number of us that we need to pay attention to what's happening. And this is why, you know, if nothing else, Donald Trump has managed to do one thing, which is kind of unite us. And, you know, what I found so troubling and problematic about, you know, Ted Cruz, you know, Kasich's and Donald Trump's response or responses to what happened in Brussels is you had responses like we're going to patrol Muslim communities and all of that. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. And I'm like, are you guys paying attention? You need to pay attention to what these folks are saying. Because, I mean, when I start hearing things about how they're going to patrol Muslim neighborhoods, you know, it's unspoken. Well, it's not even really unspoken. They patrol black, brown, and red neighborhoods as well. You know, even though the Indian reservations are, you know, quote, unquote, sovereign, you know, (laughs) that's not really so. You know, you got to go and look at the legislation. I mean, they just gave power to, you know, these sovereign nations to convict people, and in particular white men, who come, you know, into their reservations, into their communities, and, you know, create havoc. In particular, there have been quite a few issues, you know, with some of these white men raping these indigenous Native women. And, you know, the 
the, you know, communities were pretty much helpless. And if you go back and you read, you know, back in the early 20s and 30s, 1920s and 30s, you know, there are a number of um, number of different types of legislations that were passed in regards to Native Americans and, you know, them given the ability to vote. You know, what's happening now, you know, is even in some cases, they are, you know, forcing some of the Native Americans to send their children to certain schools because they're trying to get them to acclimate. And, you know, and this has been happening across the board with black, brown, red, yellow, and, you know, while, you know, we're supposed to be independent, you know, they're still trying to force many of us to acclimate, which is why you see a lot of the anti-blackness and why won't you guys assimilate, you know, um, and, you know, they're making us assimilate and they're making us acclimate, acclimate to an environment that they deem as good enough for us. You know, it's not good enough for them, but, you know, us over here, you know, we better get ready. And, oh, yeah, I may as well say, I forgot to say, you know, secularist non-believers. They're going to come after us, too. You know, when you're someone who's a member of, let me see, I think I'm a member of four or five groups. So, you know, I'm really going to be ass out. So it's just interesting. Um just want you guys to go back, do some reading about this, because what happens and what's going to happen is if they have this brokered convention, you know, they're, you know, basically disenfranchising the working class and poor whites who got them to where they are now. And this is why I find the whole situation ironic. Because, you know, not only are these, you know, um, these political parties giving the middle finger to, you know, black, brown, red, and yellow people, now they're giving the middle finger to, you know, working class and poor whites. And for those of you, you know, that are listening to my show, and if you're white and you're feeling some kind of way about what's happening, like I said, multiply that by 100. That is how we feel. That is what we deal with on a day-to-day basis, and then you want to know why we're so angry. And so that's another thing. They feel that their anger is different than our anger. Their anger is a righteous anger. Our anger is whining and complaining. It's amazing. And this is why I say we have so much more in common than in differences. And if you go back and you read history and you pay attention to what happened with Martin Luther King when he was assassinated, it was when he started that Poor People's Campaign. And what was happening is he was bringing everybody together or he was trying to appeal to everyone and there were a lot of poor whites that were starting to listen to him that were starting to wanting to be a part of that particular movement and what happened was when you know king was assassinated everybody scattered and they started running in you know every direction just to kind of get away you know, and and to make sure that a ricocheted bullet didn't hit them. And this is one of the reasons why you'll hear me saying certain things about, 
you know, the black political elite or the black elites, you know, they've been throwing us under the bus from the very beginning. And, you know, I have a couple of books to recommend. I don't have it in front of me, so I apologize, but I'm going to make a note to, you know, bring it up next week. But, you know, especially for those that want to have a better idea um, about the political landscape in the black community, you know, just go and look up how the, you know, black political elite has, you know, betrayed and undermined, you know, the black working class and poor blacks. You know, and, you know, you were seeing the same thing with the white elite, undermining working class and poor whites. And a lot of this, again, is because of greed. And with Donald Trump and his version of prosperity gospel, that's that's what they're selling you. They're selling you greed. When I look at, you know, prosperity preachers and that word of faith doctrine, I see it as capitalism on steroids. And, you know, and what's so interesting, and I mean, I understand this, because when you're poor and, you know, you're working going from check to check and you're robbing Peter to pay Paul and shit just ain't going right. You're looking for any glimmer of hope. You know, you're trying to find some type of light at the end of the tunnel. And so, you know, it does set up despair to a certain degree. And people deal with that in a number of different ways. You know, what we're seeing now with, you know, white elites, rich whites, is they're they're basically having a damn nervous breakdown. And you see them going through the stages of grief. I mean, when I watch these news shows and I look at some of these pundits, you know, and I'm seeing, you know, their reaction and listening to what they're saying. And, you know, sometimes I'm looking at it and I'm like, damn, they went through the whole seven stages of grief in a matter of ten minutes. They're on panic mode, you guys. Now you see how we feel. You know, I just laugh because, you know, you'll have people, why are you so angry? Why are you so anxious? And why can't you just be happy with what you have? You know, and again, I would tell you guys, go back and look up, you know, the protest psychosis. That's actually a book. But it's talking about, you know, the civil rights movement and the black power movement and how, you know, um, you know, a lot of blacks were giving diagnosis of being schizophrenic. So, I mean, it's just it's absolutely amazing, you know, and this is one of the reasons why, you know, I love history. And so for those that have been around, you know, this show has been around for five years. As a matter of fact, we're on our fifth year anniversary now. And, you know, I've had the pleasure and the honor of, you know, being able to have these types of conversations with you guys and bring this information to you because, see, I'm learning right alongside with you guys. You know, a lot of this information, you know, as Red Ninja said, you know, he said that he had to pay for the classes in school to get the information, you know, that I'm putting out on this show. And, you know, I'm encouraging you guys to research and read a lot of this. You can find, you know, online. You know, if it's a certain book, go out and look for the Spark Notes. And, you know, there are a lot of PDFs that you can find online. You have Google Books and all of that. 
I'm encouraging you guys to go out and read this and understand it because in order for us to understand what's happening now in the direction that we're being pushed in or the path that they're trying to force us into, this is just repetition. And this is why, you know, I talked about, you know, being tactical and strategic. They've they've studied us to our very, you know, down to our toenails. They know how we're going to react. It's the same thing over and over. And this is what I'm trying to get you guys to understand. So, you know, and I mean, for those of you who do not like the way that they've been treating President Obama, that's how they treat us in real life. You know, we're never good enough. You know, I mean, you can be the best and the brightest. First thing they're going to say, oh, that was an EEO hire. Or, you know, well, they must be getting that information from someone else. You know, our, you know, our wealth, our knowledge, you know, our skills, you know, all of that is, you know, basically blown off. And we're not taken seriously. And, you know, what's interesting is for those that make it to middle management, even senior management in some cases, you know, you're being undermined by the very people that you're supposed to be leading. And they look for any, anything and everything to undermine you, to create a hostile environment. So I'm just telling you guys, you need to pay attention, you know, you know, to these plantation politics. You know, this is something that we deal with on a daily basis. And then they wonder why everybody is running around with high blood pressure. You know, and, and people are having, you know, breakdowns and all of that. You know, just sit back and look. You know, the, the Republican Party never thought that Donald Trump would dominate this particular, you know, race for presidency. They totally underestimated him. But the thing is, is that they created him. They created him. They created Ted Cruz and, you know, all of these demagogues out here. And now they're mad at the very people who made them who they are, the Republican supporters. Now they're mad at them because these people are choosing Trump. You created this monster, and that's what I'm saying. You know, you have people out here when I say you created this monster, now you have to deconstruct it. Now you have to, you know, you know, destroy it, you know, but I just find the whole thing interesting. I just want you guys to try to look at these things from a number of different perspectives. Just try. You know, it's important, and so – it's extremely important that you guys read the news. And, you know, what's unfortunate is that in, in American news, I mean, all over the world, actually, but particularly with American news. Why? Because I'm an American, this is what I say. There is a lot of propaganda. And there are a lot of stories that have been suppressed. Um, and then if you go and you look at these media companies, most of them are owned by conservatives. So they determine, you know, what is being, you know, put out there to the masses. So this is why I encourage people to read, you know, newspapers from other countries. Now, I loved Al Jazeera America. 
And what has happened with that is that they are shutting that down due to due to the fact, basically, is that they were operating pretty much in the red. And there are a number of other issues with that, but, you know, you still have Al Jazeera, and, you know, just they're still putting out stories on Al Jazeera America, you know, that's going to come to a stop. But, I mean, you still have Al Jazeera. Go and look at that. you got the BBC. You have a number of different, you know, newspapers and periodicals that you can find online that, you know, can give you some insight as to what, you know, is going on. But I'm just telling you guys, um, pay attention. And you saw what they did in Arizona with the vote. And, you know, I can't forget, you know, I can't forget to talk about what happened in Michigan, and in particular in Flint, Michigan, how they ran out of ballots. I mean, guys, you know, it's that and a number of other things that are happening, you know, about voter suppression. And, of course, the media is not necessarily covering this. So um, it's just interesting. I'm going to post an article talking about, you know, how some white Americans are longing for the 1950s, you know, the good old days. You know, in the 1950s, they weren't being discriminated against. And, you know, it's interesting, like I said, when you hear these particular narratives, you know, and, and how, you know, visceral they are, you know, it's like, they want to go back to the good old days when, you know, opportunities were knocking on their door. And, you know, that's the same thing that happened in 2000, 2001, working in dot-com. You know, I can quit this job here and then go down two floors on the elevator and get hired at the corporation in the same, another corporation in the same building. I mean, life was great. <laughs> and so, I mean, it's just – child, let me tell you, you know, and what's interesting is, you know, and I kind of want to delve into this a little bit, when you have white Americans, you know, out here saying that they're being discriminated against, you know, go and look at those studies, and they really do believe that they're being discriminated against. What's happening is a lot of the privileges that they were used to and the entitlements, those are not necessarily there anymore and the few that are there, they're starting to have to compete for it. And so, you know, this is what causes some of the resentment that they have for, you know, other races and ethnicities and, you know, um, other marginalized people. And that's the problem. It boils down to money. And the white elites are saying to, you know, the working class, poor whites to the ethnic whites because they're saying is they're not going to give you any more money. They're not going to coddle you anymore. And this is what is cultivating and breeding this political landscape that we're facing now. And they the you know the the rich elites, they don't have anything to worry about because the most for the most part these people can't touch them. So they're going to take it out on, you know, other people that they're going to blame for this particular, you know, dilemma that they're facing. You know, we talked about Prop 8 in California and how, 
you know, white LGBTQ people blame the black community, in particular the black church, as opposed to blaming the Mormon church. You know, they're too powerful and they're too white. And so I just, you know, guys, open up your minds, read. Try to look at this from a number of different perspectives. And for those, you know, white allies out there, yeah, you know, guys, they're targeting you, you know, the elite. And so it's not a figment of your imagination like they try to tell us and how some of you try to tell us. It's not that we're oversensitive or hypersensitive. You know, at the end of the day, it boils down to, you know, I'm not oversensitive. I'm not hypersensitive. Why the fuck would you want to do that shit in the first place? Smoke and mirrors, baby. Things are not always as they seem. And so, again, it's interesting, you know, it was a couple of, and, you know, I'm kind of done with that right now, you know, even though I'll tie it into a couple of the other things that I want to talk about before we sign off. But, um, yeah, this actually was a good damn week for me. You know, I was, you know, talking to a really, really good friend last night, and, you know, we were talking about some opportunities that have come my way and that I'm definitely going to take advantage of. And so, you know, we were laughing, and I said, am I having a midlife crisis, you know, and we were laughing, and she said, no, you're having a midlife enlightenment. You're having a midlife reboot. And I felt that that was apropos. And so, man, let me tell you, you know, some of the news that I got this weekend, you know, we all know that I'm a non-believer, but, you know, and, to, and this Sunday is Easter Sunday, and, you know, that's one of the Sundays where everybody and their grandmama go to church, and I'm going to look at some telecasts later on today because I want to see the nice outfits, you know, the Easter clothes. But, um, you know, with, you know, one particular set of, you know, information or the news that I got this week. If I was in somebody's church, I probably would have danced all around it. You know, I'm at this point in my life with, you know, some things are happening for me, and this is the happiest I've been in my life. And there are no words to fucking describe it. I get chills thinking about it. You know, and for the past couple of years, you know, things have been all right, pretty decent. You know, I've had to deal with some bullshit, you know, but, I mean, that's life, and that happens. And, you know, when you're going through it, you're sitting there, and you're like, this bullshit here. And you get angry, and you get stressed out about shit, and, you know, I've had to talk myself down. I've had friends. They're like, Kim, chill. Kim, no, don't do that. Kim, don't say that. And, you know, I'm grateful and thankful to have those people in my life because what happened is because of certain situations that I've had to deal with, it kind of forced my hand to kind of push myself in a different direction and do some things that, you know, I always intended to do, but 
you know, I ended up doing it because I have to keep my mind working. I have to keep focused on things. And, you know, for the most part, for the past couple of years, I pretty much, you know, have kind of turned my brain off to a certain degree. And I've had some wonderful people in my life, in particular, this past year that have been encouraging me. They've been challenging the hell out of me. And so I've had to turn my brain back on, you know, to kind of keep up with. But, you know, I have an absolutely outstanding mentor that, you know, has been challenging me and, you know, pushing me out of my comfort zone. And, you know, I'm definitely grateful for her and the opportunities that, you know, um, she's opening up for me. And so it's more of that to come, but, you know, dude, I am so grateful, so grateful. I'm so happy. I haven't been this happy in a long time. You know, last year there were some things that I had to reboot. There were some things I had to write off. There were some things that I had to put in the trash, you know, and, you know, that wasn't necessarily what I wanted to do. But now, looking at things, it was actually the best freaking thing that I could have done because had that not happened, I wouldn't have met certain people. I would not have pushed myself to do certain things. And I've been able to network and work with an amazing set of people. And there is more work to come, more things to come. I'm just, you know, man, I'm excited. I mean, You know, when I got off the phone with my mentor this week, you know, I wanted to run down the hall. I mean, I felt like I could run a 10-minute mile, and I haven't done that since the military, right? You know, and it was my brain wanting to do that because my body was like, girl, please set it down somewhere, right? But all I can say is, you know, not that anybody gives a damn or cares, but I am fucking happy. I really am. And so, you know, and I'm not one of these people, you know, that talks about haters or anything, because to be honest with you, I still don't know what the fuck that means. You know, I've looked it up on the Internet, went to Urban Dictionary, had other people explain it to me, and it still makes no sense. But, you know, the people that, you know, that pushed me in a certain direction, whether, you know, it was through malice or what have you, thank you. Thank you. You'll understand why one day, one, you know, one, you know, why I'm thanking you. That was the best thing that could have ever happened to me. You know, and I've had to go back and redo some things, but it was the best thing ever. I was able to push a lot of things off of my plate, you know, ease that burden. You know, I got a lot of stress and pressure off of me. You know, again, I'm a nonconformist, and I'm going to do things my way. And as I stated on my first show, if you go back and listen to Coming Up for Air, you know, my first show back, I said I'm unapologetic, un- unapologetically black, and that's never going to change. I meant that. 
As a matter of fact, I have a couple of unapologetically black T-shirts. I may take a picture with one, you know, but, my God, you know, or my goodness, life is fantastic. And I'm just so grateful, you know, I've met, you know, these wonderful people. So, anyway... It's, it's a bunch of things that's happening. Um, <laughs> remember um, Mugabe, you know, he's telling, you know, urging Africans and African Americans to work together. And what's so interesting is that he's telling, you know, these businesses, white businesses and organizations, you know, in his country that, you know, that they have to be out by April 1st. So he's not kidding over there. So, and what's interesting is, you know, the narrative that the media, particularly the white media, makes up about this guy, you know, who basically, you know, they're trying to say he's this horrible person. But, you know, whether he's horrible or not, that's not for me to determine. But, you know, look at what's happening over there. And, you know, since I'm talking about Africa, um There's been a lot happening, you know, and, you know, we talk about apartheid, and interestingly enough, that is what we see happening over in Israel. That's why I brought that up earlier, and because I wanted to tie it in, you know, what's happening with the Palestinians, that is apartheid, and it's the same thing happening here in America, You know, I just need for you guys to kind of, you know, broaden your horizons, try to look at this from another, you know, a bunch of different perspectives and read. But, you know, what we're dealing with, you know, in America here is apartheid as well. And so what I find interesting, you know, and again about the plantation politics and how they're trying to make President Obama jump through all of these hoops, you know, there is a reason why. There's this kind of love affair between black Americans and Cuba, you know, and, you know, they've stated unequivocally that they are not going to send Asada back to America. So I'm happy about that because, again, you know, you see some of the other Black Panthers that they left to, you know, to rot in jail. You know, they're dying, you know, and some of them are being released and some of them are now getting the opportunity to have, you know, have their cases, you know, reviewed and, you know, being able to have a voice because, you know, they were put in solitary confinement. You know, they sure as hell didn't want them talking to the general prison population, you know, and as a matter of fact, go and look up, you know, what's been happening in Alabama and the prison uprisings that are happening. And so it's amazing, but, you know, a lot of people don't realize that Fidel Castro played a really big role in, you know, destroying apartheid in South Africa. Go back and read that up. And, you know, go and learn some things to find out, you know, why, you know, quite a few black Americans, you know, have this love for Fidel Castro on Cuba, as well as for Gaddafi. You know, and these are supposedly, you know, enemies of the United States. And so, you know, it's interesting. So I want you guys to go and read that. 
And, you know, Denisha, thank you for calling in. I appreciate it. And, you know, you've been listening to the show. Thank you. It's been a privilege and an honor, you know, for you to allow me into your life, you and, you know, the other listeners. And, you know, what's interesting, you know, because of what Denisha said, you know, there are a lot of Americans, you know, that believe that we're living in a democracy when actually that's not true. We're not living in a true democracy. Constitutionally, we live in a limited republic. If you go back and you read the Constitution, you will see that we live in a limited republic. And, you know, um, maybe we'll do a show on that. But, yeah, they've sold us the idea and the notion that we live in a democracy. And so it's interesting, just like I find it interesting how you have people that are bad-mouthing Bernie Sanders because he's a democratic socialist. You know, just the word socialist itself scares a lot of Americans. And what's interesting is, you know, one of the pastors, in particular Pastor Parsons, that, you know, I was tweeting at, on the People of Color Beyond Faith account. He was on, if you go and look at his Twitter feed, you know, he gives, you know, he copied and pasted um, a a generic definition about socialism. And unfortunately, in this country, socialism and communism are bad words. And what I find interesting is that, you know, with Malcolm X, um, Martin Luther King, and my personal hero, um, Hubert Henry Harrison, and a number of other, you know, um, black people, black thinkers, black activists, what have you, a lot of them were kind of leaning more towards socialism. And some of them were just outright socialists. You know, so I want to make sure that that doesn't get confused. But, you know, again, I would encourage you guys to go out there and read a little bit about Marxism. And there are a lot of, you know, article, I mean, a lot of arguments, pro and con. So, I mean, you have to go out and read for yourself and come up with your own observations, your own conclusions, and, you know, go from there. But, Yeah, it's been a lot happening, you know, and I didn't even really get a chance to talk into, you know, what's happening. And, you know, we have a lot of people out here that are trying to blame Donald Trump and saying that, you know, he's commandeering and and, and hijacking the Republican Party. That's not true. You created this monster and his little monsterettes. You created this. Now you got to fix it or at least learn how to deal with it. And they don't want to. They're out here throwing, you know, throwing a tantrum. But for shits and giggles, you know, if he doesn't get the nomination, I hope he runs as an independent. And if Bernie Sanders doesn't win the nomination, I hope he runs as an independent also. Now, that is when we will see real fireworks, and that is when the fun will begin. But, you know, guys, I just need for you all to pay attention. Pay attention to your surroundings, and unfortunately, you know, 
you know, we're being led to slaughter to a certain degree. Like I said, don't follow don't follow the Judas goat. You know, pay attention to what's happening. And for those that are Bernie supporters, if he does not get the nomination and you sit on your hands and you don't vote and Trump or Cruz or whomever, you know, if they're elected, I'm pointing the fingers at you guys. You know, you're sitting on top of, you know, you're, this is a, just a full display of your white, and of course you're not going to see it that way. And this is why we've had to jump through so many hoops to get you to understand white privilege and how you benefit from it, as well as, you know, systemic racism, you know, the white supremacy. There are some people that feel that Bernie can't win, you know, like Denisha said, against Donald Trump or any Republican. What say you? You know, I've already, you know, told you what I think. I want you to sit back and think about it. And what's so interesting is there was a poll out there, and it said women hate Donald Trump more than men hate Hillary Clinton. Ain't that some shit? All right, everybody, enjoy your day. Have a great Sunday. Have a great week. Take care. Love you.